The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 to 10. Now we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with our Lord. So we make it our goal to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Well, hi, everyone. Nice to be able to come and share God's word with you. Let me start with a a prayer. Father God, please open our minds, our hearts and our eyes to hear from you today that we might understand you more and your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there's no PowerPoint. Everywhere you go, it's like death by PowerPoint, isn't it? Um, Hey, I've got a question. Has anyone ever been underground? Not not a car park um, or a burial plot, (laughs) but um, like a cave or, or a mine. Well, we had a family holiday years ago out west and we went to Wellington Caves and we went on a, on a guided tour of what's called the Cathedral Cave and as we, as we started going un, underneath um, I was aware of two, two things. Um, there's, there's sort of like, it's, it's like steel, there's, there's no, no wind blowing and um, it's incredibly quiet and we sort of kept going through and the guide kept explaining things and then she said stop here and she said um, I'm going to turn off the light and you'll see how dark it is. So all right, so she goes, ready, here we go. So she flicked the light off and one of my girls grabbed onto me and like, I can't believe how dark it is. You, you can't see anything, like even in the night, like at home, you can sort of see things a little bit, like you can see nothing underground. And then she said, I'm gonna turn the light back on. And she did, but she flicked on a different set of lights and then it went like ballistic like that. The light just went out and you, I think, oh my gosh, what's well, amazing in here, all of the, um, different types of rocks and textures and colours and so on, it was pretty, pretty amazing to be underground. Well, I've got a story for you today about being underground, and this story is set in South America in a village, and the main industry connected with the village is the mine. And either a son or a father, an uncle, grandfather, neighbour um, is associated and works at the mine, and the whole village is dependent on this mine, and it drives village life. In this story, it's a true story, it's about a young girl who um, lived with her father, who was a miner, and um, at school, the young girl, she'd been having uh, scripture classes like, like we have here in Australian schools, and she'd been learning about God and how he created the heavens and the earth, and uh, she learned about God's love for his people, she learned about Jesus, and one day at school, all the student, the scripture teacher gave all the kids uh, a New Testament, just like we heard from the Gideons today. And so all the kids took the New Testament home, and, and this girl went home, and she, she was reading it 
um, after school. And then her, her father came home from the mine and he said, what are you reading? She said, I'm reading the New Testament. And he said, that's a myth, you know. You're wasting your time. But she kept reading it. And this happened day after day. She'd come home from school and she was excited to read about what the Bible had to say. And uh, her father every day kept saying, it's garbage, it's lies, it's just a made-up story. And he came home again the next day and he found her reading, and he was so angry with her for reading this New Testament that he, he ripped it out of her hands and he said, you're never ever to read this garbage ever again. Do something else. Learn, learn something you can get a job with. Read something that's truthful. It's all made up. Anyway, so he took it away from her and, and life went on. Going to work, going to school, work, school, back to the mine. Anyway, one day afterwards, the girl was at school in class and the teacher was in the middle of the lesson when everyone heard it. It was an alarm. And everyone in the village knew what that meant. It meant there'd been a cave-in at the mine and everyone's associated with this mine. Everyone rushes to the mine entrance. And the mine manager comes out and he raises his hands. He said, everyone, listen. Uh, there's been a, a collapse at the mine, deep underground, and 31 men are trapped. And we've already started a rescue plan, and more help is coming, but we've lost contact with them. Would have been pretty frightening to be, to be there that day. Imagine the family and friends above ground. They're all hoping their loved ones would be rescued. Hoping, of course, you know, that the rescue team will get through, they'll all be alive. And as for the miners, it must have been terrifying. Like underground, you think, oh, I can't get out of here when I was on that tour of the cave. And I guess there would have been rubble and, and dust everywhere. And so the wait began on both sides of the rubble. And minutes became hours, and then, and then night fell, and morning came, and then night came again, but there was no news. And everyone is just hoping for this miracle rescue to take place. You see, because everyone wants life to continue as it is, don't they? Everyone wants life to go on. And I've been reading recently in the news about several articles about the quest for not only to live longer, and I'll keep seeing news articles like, you can live now for 130 years, it's not far away. And even things about immortality, people just, they just don't want to give up, they just want to keep going on, live forever. And immortality might seem like the stuff of science fiction, but it's actually becoming real science. So like, I've heard like um, Google's launched a company called Calico, whose goal is to solve, solve death. And um, the founder of PayPal apparently has pledged to fight death, like they're at war with death, you know. And, and last year I heard that um, the Amazon chairman, Jeff Bezos, had invested in a company that plans to rejuvenate cells in order to reverse disease. And so big money's been spent on this quest to live forever. The reality, though, is that life is short, and the Bible tells us that life is short. In fact, um, the Bible tells us, like, like, you know, like on a cold morning when you, you breathe out vapour? You sort of, when I was a kid, I also thought I was smoking, you know? And um, 
vapour comes out and it, in two seconds it's gone. It's like in the whole eon, like creation, you know, to the end of time, it's like a, our life's like a little puff of air and it's just gone like that. And we have these expressions in English, English like, life is short, play hard, you know. So although life is indeed short, God created us actually to keep on living, not here on earth, but life to come. You see, he made us and he loves us dearly and he wants us to be with him for all eternity. Back to that mind story. I mean, it's, it's now day five. It must have been awful, waiting, waiting for the news. And finally, the manager comes out to speak to the crowd and there's complete silence and everyone's waiting to hear what the answer is. So the manager comes out and he says, everyone listen, the rescue team has reached the men. And everyone's just waiting to hear. There were no survivors. And then of course the, the crying and the wailing started and the instant shock of knowing that life had changed in every family throughout that village and brothers, fathers, sons and neighbours would not be returning ever again. One of the rescue team members went up to that little girl I told you about and he said, Miss, we tried to reach your father, but I'm sorry, we just couldn't get there in time. Thank you, she said very graciously. And he went on, look, when we finally got to your father, we found something in his hand and I'd like to give it to you. And with that, he stretched out his hand in which he held that New Testament that the girl's father had ripped out of her a few weeks before. And shocked, she just stared at this cover of the New Testament and something caused her to open it. And there inside the cover was a handwritten note. Listen. To my daughter, keep reading this New Testament it is true and right, and I will see you one day in heaven. Love your father. And this young girl, she just couldn't believe what she was reading, and suddenly she had these conflicting emotions of sadness and loss, but also joy and confidence. And, and this girl then turned the page of the New Testament, and there, you see, there's the, the table of contents, the four Gospels, Acts, Romans, all the way through to Revelation, which is about what's to come in the future. And the next page she turned to, something caused her to do that, was not um, actually part of the Bible, but it contained what is often called um, the sinner's prayer. It's what someone says when they realise that they're broken inside, that they've ignored God and confess that only Jesus can heal them of their brokenness. And if you're wondering who is broken, it's all of us. That's you and me. It's written, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, all, every one of us. So in this particular New Testament was the sinner's prayer, and the girl was looking at it, and right beneath that sinner's prayer, she saw her father's signature. And her father had realised when he was trapped in that mind physically, there was no way out. But more importantly, he knew that he was also trapped spiritually, and with that, he put his trust in Jesus as his saviour. What a turnaround for this man. 
He'd been so convinced that what, he was reading, what was in the New Testament in the Bible was garbage, just rubbish, just lies, just something, some myth, some fiction. Yet something made him think otherwise. It's interesting, wasn't it, that he, he actually took that New Testament into the mind with him. Obviously, he'd been reading it over time, and clearly he had come to realise that what he thought was a lie and myth was in fact the truth. Truth. Jesus made a massive claim about truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only one way, no other way. Remember I said that as humans we have this desire to keep living forever? Well, Jesus said that is completely possible through him and him alone. It is written, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Think about the words eternal life. That means life does not end. It goes on forevermore, never ceasing. And with that, um, this man changed. You know, and the world keeps focusing on, on dividing humans into categories, male, female, black, white, poor, rich, left politically, right politically, and so on. But that's not how God divides the world. God divides the world completely differently. He said, there are two types of people in my eyes, the saved and the unsaved. Those who are friends of God, those who are enemies. Those who have been set free, those who are still captive and chained. That's the divide. And you can't be in both. You can't have a foot in both camps. You're this or you're that. And those who are saved have confessed that Jesus is Lord and asked for forgiveness for their sins. And at some point during those five days, the Father was transformed and he became a child of God, a citizen of heaven, no longer imprisoned spiritually, and he received God's grace and he was no longer broken within. So this little girl, she was so grateful to God that her father had believed and had been saved. You know what she did next? Something caused her to turn the page again. After, this, after that sinner's prayer where she, she'd seen her father sign his name. And on the next page, she saw 30 more names. And all of the miners, each one of them, had accepted the call to repentance. They'd confessed their sins and believed that Jesus, in fact, was the Son of God, that he died and rose again. These men in the, in, trapped in there, the 31 of them, they, they, they realised that physical help was not coming at all, but they believed that Jesus was there with them and he came and saved them eternally. And as they passed away one by one, they each passed into glory and everlasting life. So and each one of them wrote their names as a sign of their acceptance of God's free gift of grace. And as each one wrote their names in the book, Something at the same time was happening in heaven. You see, God's also got a book. It's called the Book of Life. And it contains names, millions of names. And every person who has ever existed who turns to Jesus and asks for forgiveness for their sins has their name written in the Book of Life. 
names that God promises to never, ever erase. Today's passage is from 2 Corinthians. I'd like to look at it just briefly in two parts. I don't know if you can bring that up again. Um, the first part, is it there? Yeah, what's this thing about earthly tent and, and so on? Well, it means that as, as believers, what Paul's saying is that as believers in Christ, we know that what's on the other side of death is far better than here and now. And as Christians, we approach death with, with hope and with complete confidence. That should be our attitude as believers to, to death that's unavoidable, it's coming. Think of death as, a, as approaching like a, like a landlord coming with an eviction notice telling you to vacate this life immediately. You know, right now, we're actually living in a dilapidated house in a total slum, but death is like a vehicle to a glorious inheritance. Remember, Jesus said, I love these words, Jesus said, in my house are many rooms. He's got a room for each one of us. I hope my children's rooms are clean and tidy. Up there. We need to have a triumphant view of death as, as Christians. Don't bother with these immortality quests. They're a waste of time. You don't want to keep living here anyway. Besides, when Jesus returns, uh, this earth will be destroyed and there'll be a new earth, a new earth, free of sin, free of suffering, free of sadness and free of death. And that's a promise from God himself. And that's why as Christians we should not fear death. That's a promise from God. In fact, we should look forward to it. Uh, but of course in God's appointed time. Uh, so the first point is we look forward to a new residence in a far better place, um, a place where there is no, no sun or moon, but where everything is lit up by God's amazing radiance. How good is that? And apart from a new room in heaven, you get to have new bodies too. That's being, being clothed. It means that we, in heaven we put on, an, on a new body and that means we're no longer naked. These, these earthly bodies that, that age and, and break and get run down will be totally replaced. Think shiny titanium hip replacements on steroids. No more need for physios, orthopedic surgeons, psychologists, Medicare rebates are gone forever. And we exchange this imperfect body for a brand new one, a perfect one that does not age and lasts for all eternity. Not like an old car that breaks down, you've got to get a new one, it just keeps going. And this is a rock-solid promise from God Almighty. So to conclude, please know this. If you have truly believed in Jesus Christ, then your inheritance is assured. Nothing is going to undo that. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can change that. Not life, nor death, principalities, powers, nor things to come, uh, things present, Nothing. The purpose of God is fixed and he's guaranteed it. He's given us the Holy Spirit when we believe who comes inside and takes up residence. Pledging Greek means this. It's like an engagement ring. It's like a down payment. It's like the first instalment. It means security. It means guarantee. It can't be undone. And if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are 100% heaven bound. Don't ever doubt that. And this security should cause you to consider how you live your life now and cause you to tell others of a life eternal that they too can call their own. Amen. Let me say a prayer. Father God, we thank you that through our faith in Christ you have prepared for us an eternal place with you in heaven. We believe that it is a place beyond comparison 
with the one we currently know, and we confess that we do not think of eternal life as we should. Help us not to fear death, but instead approach it with total confidence. And we thank you that we will be clothed with new bodies and inherit eternal life and not experience eternal darkness. Please call many more to you. In Jesus' name, amen.